Chapter Eleven of Colonel Quaritch, V.C. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Colonel Quaritch, V.C. by H. Ryder Haggard. Chapter Eleven. Ida's Bargain. When Ida saw the Colonel coming, she put on her sweetest smile and took his hand. How do you do, Colonel Quaritch? she said. It is very good of you to come, especially as you don't play tennis much. By the way, I hope you have been studying that cipher, for I am sure that it is a cipher. I studied it for half an hour before I went to bed last night, Miss de la Mole, and for the life of me, I cannot make anything out of it, and what's more, I don't think that there is anything to make out. Ah, oh, she answered with a sigh, I wish there was. Well, he replied, I'll have another go at it. "'What will you give me if I find it?' he said, with a smile, which lighted up his rugged face most pleasantly. "'Anything you like to ask, and that I can give,' she answered, with a tone of earnestness, which struck him as peculiar, for of course he did not know the tale that she had just heard from Mr. Quest. Then, for the first time for many years, Harold Quaritch delivered himself of a speech that might have been capable of a tender and hidden meaning. I am afraid, he said, bowing, that if I came to claim the reward, I should ask for more than even you would be inclined to give. Ida blushed a little. We can consider that when you do come, Colonel Quaritch. Excuse me, but here are Mrs. Quest and Mr. Cossey, and I must go and say, how do you do? Harold Quaritch looked around, feeling unreasonably irritated at this interruption to his little advances, and for the first time saw Edward Cossey. He was coming along in the wake of Mrs. Quest, looking very handsome and rather languid, when their eyes met, and to speak the truth, the Colonel's first impression was not a complimentary one. Edward Quasi was in some ways not a bad fellow, but like a great many young men who are born with silver spoons in their mouths, he had many airs and graces, one of which was the affectation of treating older and better men with an assumption of off-handedness and even of superiority which was rather obnoxious thus while ida was greeting mr quest he was engaged in taking the colonel in in a way that irritated that gentleman considerably presently ida turned and introduced colonel quaritch first to mrs quest and then to mr cossey harold bowed to each and then strolled off to meet the squire whom he noted advancing with his usual array of towels hanging out of his hat and for a while he saw neither of them any more. Meanwhile, Mr. Quest had emerged from the shelter of his arbutus, and was going from one person to another, saying some pleasant and appropriate word to each, till at last he reached the spot where his wife and Edward Cossey were standing. Nodding affectionately at the former, he asked her if she was not going to play tennis, and then drew Cossey aside. "'Well, Quest,' said the latter, "'have you told the old man?' "'Oh, yes, I told him.' How did he take it? Oh, he talked it off, and said that, of course, other arrangements must be made. I spoke to Miss Delamole, too. Oh, said Edward, in a changed tone, and how did she take it? Well, answered the lawyer, putting on an air of deep concern, and as a matter of fact, he really did feel sorry for her. I think it was the most painful professional experience that I ever had. The poor woman was utterly crushed. She said that it would kill her father. "'Poor girl,' said Mr. Cossey, in a voice that showed his sympathy, was of a very active order. 
and how pluckily she is carrying it off too look at her and he pointed to where ida was standing a lawn tennis bat in her hand and laughingly arranging a set of married versus single yes she is a good plucky girl answered mr quest and a splendid woman she looks doesn't she i never saw anybody who was quite such a lady there is nobody to touch her around here unless he added meditatively perhaps it is bell they are different types of beauty answered edward cossey flinching yes but equally attractive in their separate ways well it can't be helped but i feel sorry for that poor girl and the old gentleman too hello there he is as he was speaking the squire who was walking past with colonel quaritch with the object of showing him the view from the end of the moat suddenly saw edward cossey who at once stepped forward to greet him but to his surprise was met by a cold and most stately bow from mr de la mole who passed on without vouchsafing a single word old idiot ejaculated mr quest to himself he will put the bankers back up and spoil the game well said mr cossey aloud and colouring almost to his eyes that old gentleman knows how to be insolent you must not mind him mr cossey answered quest hastily the poor old boy has got a very good idea of himself he is dreadfully injured because cossey and son are calling in the mortgages after the family has dealt with them for so many generations and he thinks that you have something to do with it well if he does he might as well be civil it does not particularly incline a fellow to go out of his way to pull him out of the ditch just to be cut in that fashion i have half a mind to order my trap and go no no don't do that you must make allowances you must indeed look here is miss de la mole coming to ask you to play tennis at this moment ida arrived and took off edward cossey with her not a little to the relief of mr quest who began to fear that the whole scheme was spoiled by the squire's unfortunate magnificence of manner edward played his game having ida herself as his partner it cannot be said that the set was a pleasant one for the latter who poor woman was doing her utmost to bring up her courage to the point necessary to the carrying out of the appeal ad misericordium which she had decided to make as soon as the game was over however chance put an opportunity in her way for edward cossey who had a curious weakness for flowers asked her if she would show him her chrysanthemums of which she was very proud she consented readily enough and they crossed the lawn and passing through some shrubbery reached the greenhouse which was placed at the end of the house itself here for some minutes they looked at the flowers just now bursting into bloom ida who felt exceedingly nervous was all the while wondering how on earth she was to broach so delicate a subject when fortunately mr cossey himself gave her the necessary opening i can't imagine miss de la mole he said what i can have done to offend your father he almost cut me just now are you sure that he saw you mr cossey he is very absent-minded sometimes oh yes he saw me but when I offered to shake hands with him, he only bowed in rather a crushing way and passed on. Ida broke off a scarlet turk from its stem and nervously began to pick the bloom to pieces. The fact is, Mr. Cossey, the fact is, my father, and indeed I also, are in great trouble, just now about money matters, you know, and my father is very apt to be prejudiced. In short, I rather believe that he thinks you may have had something to do with his difficulties. 
but perhaps you know all about it. I know something, Miss Delamole, he said gravely, and I hope and trust that you do not believe that I have anything to do with the actions which Cosy and Son have thought fit to take. No, no, she said hastily. I never thought anything of the sort, but I know that you have influence, and, well, to be plain, Mr. Cosy, I implore of you to use it. Perhaps you will understand that it is very humiliating for me to be obliged to ask this, though you can never guess how humiliating. Believe me, Mr. Cosy, I would never ask it for myself, but it is my father. He loves this place better than his life. It would be much better he should die than that he should be obliged to leave it. And if this money is called in, that is what must happen, because the place will be sold over us. I believe he would go mad. I do indeed. And she stopped speaking, and stood there before him, the fragment of the flower in her hand, her breast heaving with emotion. "'What do you suggest should be done, Miss de la Mole? said Edward Cossey gently. "'I suggest that—that, that if you will be so kind, you should persuade Cossey and Son to forego their intention of calling in the money.' "'It is quite impossible,' he answered. "'My father has ordered the step himself, and he is a hard man.' It is impossible to turn him if he thinks he will lose money by turning. You see, he is a banker, and has been handling money all his life, till it has become a sort of god to him. Really, I believe that he would rather beggar every friend he has than lose five thousand pounds. Then there is no more to be said. The place must go, that's all, replied Ida, turning away her head, and affecting to busy herself in removing some dried leaves from a chrysanthemum plant. Edward, watching her, however, saw her shoulders shake, and a big tear fall like a raindrop with a splash on the pavement, and the sight, strongly attracted as he was, and had been for some time toward the young lady, was altogether too much for him. In an instant, moved by an overwhelming impulse, and something not unlike a gust of passion, he came to one of those determinations which so often change the whole course and tenor of men's lives miss delamole he said rapidly there may be a way found out of it she looked up inquiringly and there were the tear-stains on her face somebody might take up the mortgages and pay off cosy and son can you find any one who will she asked eagerly no not as an investment I understand that thirty thousand pounds are required, and I tell you frankly that as times are, I do not for one moment believe the place to be worth that amount. It is all very well for your father to talk about land recovering itself, but at present, at any rate, nobody can see the faintest chance of anything of the sort. The probabilities are, on the contrary, that as the American competition increases, land will gradually sink to something like a prairie value." Then how can the money be got if nobody will advance it? I did not say that nobody would advance it. I said that nobody would advance it as an investment. A friend might advance it. And where is such a friend to be found? He would be a very disinterested friend who would advance thirty thousand pounds. Nobody in this world is quite disinterested, Miss de la Mole, or at any rate very few are. What would you give to such a friend? I would give anything and everything over which I have control in the world to save my father from seeing Honham sold over his head, she answered simply. Edward Cossey laughed a little. That is a large order, 
he said. Miss Delamole, I am disposed to try and find the money to take up these mortgages. I have not got it, and I shall have to borrow it, and what is more, I shall have to keep the fact that I have borrowed it a secret from my father. It is very good of you, said Ida faintly. I, I don't know what to say. For a moment he made no reply, and looking at him, Ida saw that his hand was trembling. Miss de la Mole, he said, there is another matter of which I wish to speak to you. Men are sometimes put into strange positions, partly through their own fault, partly by force of circumstances, and when in those positions are forced down paths that they would not follow, supposing, Miss de la Mole, that mine were in some such position, and supposing that owing to that position I could not say to you words which I should wish to say. Ida began to understand now, and once more turned aside. Supposing, however, that at some future time the difficulties of that position, of which I have spoken, were to fade away, and I were to speak those words, can you, supposing all this, tell me how they would be received? Ida paused and thought. She was a strong-natured and clear-headed woman, and she fully understood the position. On her answer would depend whether or no the thirty thousand pounds were forthcoming, and therefore whether or no Honham Castle would pass from her father and her race. "'I said just now, Mr. Cossey,' she answered coldly, "'that I would give anything and everything over which I have control in the world to save my father from seeing Honham sold over his head.' I do not wish to retract those words, and I think that in them you will find an answer to your question. He colored. You put the matter in a very business-like way, he said. It is best to put it so, Mr. Cossey, she answered with a faint shade of bitterness in her tone. It preserves me from feeling under an obligation. Will you see my father about these mortgages? Yes, tomorrow, and now I will say good-bye to you. And he took her hand, and with some little hesitation, kissed it. She made no resistance, and showed no emotion. Yes, she answered, we have been here some time. Mrs. Quest will wonder what has become of you. It was a random arrow, but it went straight home, and for the third time that day Edward Cossey reddened to the roots of his hair. Without answering a word, he bowed and went. When Ida saw it, she was sorry she had made the remark for she had no wish to appear to Mr. Cossey, the conquest of whom gave her neither pride nor pleasure, in the light of a spiteful, or worse still, of a jealous woman. She had indeed heard some talk about him and Mrs. Quest, but not being of a scandal-loving disposition, it had not interested her, and she had almost forgotten it. Now, however, she saw that there was something in it. So that is the difficult position of which he talks she said to herself. He wants to marry me as soon as he can get Mrs. Quest off his hands. And I have consented to that, always provided that Mrs. Quest can be disposed of, in consideration of the receipt of a sum of thirty thousand pounds. And I do not like the man. It was not nice of him to make that bargain, though I brought it on myself. I wonder if my father will ever know what I have done for him, and if he will appreciate it if he does." Well, it is not a bad price. Thirty thousand pounds. It is a good figure for any woman in the present state of the market. And with a hard and bitter laugh, and a prescience of sorrow to come, lying at her heart, she threw down the remains of the Scarlet Turk 
and turned away. End of chapter 11